This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective, was a radio series based loosely on the private detective character Sam Spade, created by writer Dashiell Hammett for the Maltese Falcon. The series starred Howard Duff as Sam Spade and Loreen Tuttle as his secretary, Effie. The series was largely overseen by producer-director William Spear. In 1947, scriptwriters Jason James and Bob Tolman received an Edgar Award for Best Radio Drama from the Mystery Writers of America. And here's the episode entitled, Case of My Dead Body. In response to requests representing millions of listening friends, the National Broadcasting Company is pleased indeed to bring you again The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Sweet. What number have I got? Sam Spade Detective Agency. But... Oh, oh, well, me, sweetheart. Nothing's happened. Call me later, Dwight. The white chat. Look. I didn't know you. You were in town. You didn't write to me or. Effie, F. Yes? This is me in the flesh, Sammy the Spade. Oh, oh now what? Goodbye. Effie, I'm in a payphone. My nickel is running out. Oh, Dwight, how can you be so cruel and play jokes at a time like this? Wait, wait, listen. Well, are you listening? Yes. I am not dead. Don't believe everything you read in the papers. Huh? Or here on the radio. Yes. You were at my funeral. Is that what you were about to say? Yes. And it was lovely. Don't believe that either. Stay right where you are, sweetheart, because I'll be there, alive and handsomer than ever, with an account of a caper which proves you can kill some of the people part of the time. My exaggerated report on the death of Sam Spade. <laughs> NBC welcomes back to the air a character who has captured the public imagination more completely than any other since the birth of Sherlock Holmes. William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, brings you the greatest private detective of them all in The Adventures of Sam Spade. Ain't it grand to be blooming well dead? Candles at my feet, candles I'm at sorry, my head. we're not open for business today. I mean, Mr. Spade's office is closed right now because... Because... I'll wait. I'll wait. Oh, you look just like Mr. Spade. What's your name? Spade. S-P-A-D-E. Spade. Sam never told me he had a twin brother. He doesn't. But then you... I'm me, Sam. Oh, no, you... Oh, wait. Come here. Mm-hmm. Now, do you believe me? Well, I, I don't know why. Oh, what's the use? Oh, <laughs> Oh, you're so much like him. Oh, never mind, never mind. 
Now get your pencil and paper and take it. Date, November 17th, 1950. To Miss Effie Perrine. That's me. From Samuel Spade. That's me. License number 137596. You must have been the last one to see him alive. Did he tell you to give me a message? Shut up. Subject, my death. Dear Effie, since the sight of me in the flesh, breathing, hungering, and living doesn't convince you, maybe this report will. Think, if you can, back to last Monday. Now, if you recall, it was about 11 o'clock when on the flimsy pretense that we needed stamps for the office, you drew $2 from petty cash and stepped out to buy a pair of step-ins. And that's when my client materialized. He was small and thin and carried with him the unmistakable odor of stale flowers. His black alpaca suit, string bow tie, elevator shoes, and white gloves had no bearing on his conversation. Oh, dear. My name is Chester Swan. Are you sure? Yes. My name is Spade. What can I do for you? How tall are you, Mr. Spade? Six feet in my feet. Weight? 178. I always notice a man's bone structure, don't you? Oh, always. Open. Huh? Open. Let me see inside. Oh, oh. Uh, I guess? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Fine. Oh, well, now that you know me this well, Mr. Swan, what can I do for you? Oh, dear. Perhaps I... Perhaps I shouldn't have come here at all. I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Spade. Well, really? Oh, dear. Oh, hello again, Mr. Swan. You wanted to talk to me? Yes, but I, 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 I can't talk now. Uh, Mr. Spade. Still here. There. I, I live at 8516 Claremont in Berkeley. I'll be there tonight. Oh, dear. This time, as he made his exit, he left $50 on the edge of my desk. And so, stupid me, I was at 8516 Claremont at the close of the day. It was a small white cottage with green shutters and a white picket fence. There was a hill in back and a brook in front. The sun was beginning to set on it, and it was all very picturesque. In fact, so much so that a girl with red hair, blue jeans, purple smock, oils, and canvas was making it immortal. She liked me immediately. Here, hold this. Certainly. Like it? Oh, yeah. This is my first landscape. I'm a sprouting artist. Obvious. Makes your own? Not when I can get somebody to do it for me. Who are you? Oh, I might be a fellow artist. Don't do that. You're a liar. You're Sam Spade. I saw your picture in a newspaper clipping when I was helping Chester clean out his desk before he moved it. Mm, but I... You don't know an easel from a palace. Oh, but I could learn. I take it seriously. Well, then so do I. I doubt it. You've never tried to get away, to stand off, to throw off the shackles, have you? No, no, I'll have to admit that the urgency of living, the pressure of merely existing, has had to... Catfish, Sam. By the way, I'm Amy Goodrich. Catfish? The world is full of unhappy people who never try to get away from it all. Well, honestly... Stop it. Well, I wanted to, really. Honestly, Sam, get away from everything. Leave, dissolve. I've dreamed of it. Never return. Cross my heart. Mm -hmm. What are you doing here? To see Mr. Swan. He isn't home yet. His house is a wonderful subject. Look, Sam, colorful, moderate, pleasant. Mm -hmm. That is, until the sun stops shining. But picture it at night in the fog. Mm -hmm. Crushed with barrenness, full of death, brooding, ominous. I'm trying to capture that, too. It's what we've got to get away from, isn't it? Absolutely. You and I... Sam, as you start up the hill on Claremont, there's a green apartment house on the right. I'm in 420. Well, maybe we'll find a way out together. Maybe. I waved her a fond farewell and sat on the steps of my client's house until he showed up at 6.15. He took me inside where the only furniture was an army cot and a portable barbecue. I'm so glad you kept our appointment, Mrs. Spade. I'm so 
frightened. I've been upset all week long. I didn't know what to do. I just didn't. And what have you been so upset about, Mr. Swan? Well, lately, Mr. Spade, infrequently, for the last week, I've noticed a man. I think he's following me. Mm-hmm. At first, I'd see him in a car following my bus when I went downtown. Mm-hmm. Then he'd be waiting around at the bus stop in the evening when I came back. Oh. I've sold my house, and I'm ready to move. It's unnerved me so much, but... Uh, did he follow you home tonight? No, no, but well, I... Well, would I... anyone be following you, Mr. Swan? Well, I, I, I don't know, Mr. Spade. I don't know. I really don't. All right, I'll try another tack. What does this man look like? He always wears dark clothes and a hat. I'd say he was about your height. Six feet. I remember. Maybe heavier. Same bone structure, though. Yeah. You haven't been to the police. Oh, dear, no. A man in my business can't afford off-color publicity. No? What kind of business is that? The Bonton Mortuary. Oh. 25 years. Same location. (laughs) Oh, and I've worked hard. So very hard. (laughs) And if there's something behind all this, something that has stopped me from being made the executive secretary of the Undertaker's Breakfast Club when they hold their annual election next month, I don't know what I'll do, Mr. Spade. Mm. I just don't really know what I'll do. I just don't. Oh, go ahead, Mr. Swan. You'll feel better. Just let it all out. Just really do. (laughs) And he did. When he stopped crying, I instructed him to go about his daily habits as always and left, assuring him I'd get to the bottom of it all. I walked down to the corner ostentatiously, which is a neat trick well calculated to throw nefarious observers off the track and lull them into false security. And when the bus showed up ten minutes later, I got on it, rode three blocks, walked back, and took a plant across the street. A clever ruse, as you see, to invite a showdown. Two hours later, a man about my size and dark clothes appeared over the hill and crept stealthily to the front of my client's cottage. He had his eyes glued to the window when I walked up behind him. Hey, let go, let go of me. Come on, you're going inside. Listen, I'm no peeping Tom. No, no, you're the bloodhound type. I'm inviting you in for a real sniff. At oh, your no, party. you don't. I... Well, all right, then. I'll go quietly. No, okay, that's better. Now we'll just walk on. The kick he landed on me wasn't according to Queensberry. I couldn't move for three or four minutes, and by that time he disappeared. When I recovered my faculties, I reported the incident to my client, who cried himself to sleep. After I bolted him in for the night, I stopped on my way down the hill at apartment 420 in the little green apartment house. She was still wearing the blue jeans and the purple smock, and she still had the same ideas. Come in, Sam. You said you were serious about getting away from it all, and a whole day has passed. It was that pressure of living. I'm, I'm here to apologize. Mm, you are not, but go ahead. I'm sorry, Angel. I love to be fooled, Sam. You're forgiven. Now, how's the painting coming? The, the one of Swan's cottage. Slow. Fog is always tough. Looks nice, though. How long have you been on it? Three weeks, all told. Well, then you've had a pretty good plant on the house, haven't you? Ever notice a tall, broad-shouldered guy in a dark suit casing the place? Tall, broad-shouldered? Pretty much like me. Could anybody be pretty much like you, Sam? No, you're right. Sam, is there something wrong? No, no. Well, then don't stand there doing nothing. Do something. Who, me? Amy fixed me a small dinner which had a strong turpentine taste to it. Then we mixed oils and painted and made fudge. Next afternoon at the Hall of Records, I did a little spade work on Chester Swan. 
His application and permit to practice undertaking in the city of San Francisco were dated 1938. Details, unmarried, 52 years of age. Graduated from mortician school in Ohio. Listed one living relative, nephew, Theodore J. Swan, Toledo, Ohio. I was gathering the above information when I smelled whiskey over my shoulder, which is always good luck. It was Al Torrington, who was also in the private investigation racket in this city, and he was leaning, peering from my face to the card that I held in my hand. Uh, did he yeah. get over to you too, Sam? Who got over to me, Al? Him? That thinny with the tears. What's his name? Um, uh, my eyes ain't so good. Swan, Al. Chester Swan. Mortician. Yeah, yeah, that's him, Sam. The same one exactly. Came to my office two weeks complaining about somebody following him. And he did... Nothing about it. Said I was too fat. Oh, well, you are, Al. Are you sure? Sure, I'm sure. And some other, the boys said he was around there, too. Wanted a private eye, but he wanted a man who looked just right. How right? <laughs> Obviously as right as you are, Sam, because it looks like he picked you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, F, it did look like he picked me. And I thought that over, and I didn't like it. And I called my client at home to tell him he was fired, but he didn't give me a chance. Oh, dear, I'm so glad you called, Mr. Spade. I really am. I call for a reason, Mr. Swan. I'm resigning this case. Oh, dear, Mr. Spade, you can't do that. You really can't. I don't think you've been quite honest with me, Mr. Swan. Oh, dear. Tears will get you nowhere. I made a routine check on your reasons for hiring me, and they don't quite fit with the reasons you gave. They really just don't quite, Mr. Swan. It's no game, Mr. Spade. Believe me, he, he's back tonight. Right now, he's standing beneath the lamppost outside my window, and I'm frightened to death. Mm. Please hurry over, Mr. Spade, and let's get this business straightened out. Please, please. And stupid, stupid me, I went over. And I found that little white cottage on the hill looking grim and gaunt in the heavy fog. Amy's words about it being crushed with barrenness, full of brooding and death, came back to me. And Mr. Swan's frightened words about a mysterious man in dark clothes waiting beneath the streetlight also came back to me. Particularly when I noted there was no streetlight near the house. However, there was a light somewhere in the rear of the house, and the front door was ajar. Oh, Mr. Swan! Mr. Swan, are you here? Oh, Mr. Swan, it's me, Sam Spade. Are you here? Mr. Spade? Is that you? Are you out there? Where are you? Ah! Things happened fast. I turned around to find the front door filled with a man in a dark suit. He had something in his hand. It looked like a roll of cotton candy, but it felt different. It only staggered me against the wall, but it made me forget where my arms were. Easy, Spade. Easy does it, boy. Easy. He let me down to the floor gently. I could still see the lights somewhere in the back of the house, and I could hear him talking way off. Take off his coat. Quick, quick. Give me the needle. Hurry. Hurry. I can't watch. I... I'm going upstairs! The needle went somewhere in my left arm, but not before somebody pulled my coat off, and for no reason I could think of at the moment, also tried to pull my finger off. Well, I couldn't dwell on it. By that time, the stuff in my arm was going other places, and I was going with it, even though there was action all around me. This ought to do it! No, no, stay away from me! Get out of here! Vaguely, somewhere, somebody was shooting Roman candles or having blowouts or playing bebop. I just didn't care at all. I just didn't. The first thing I saw was sunlight. It was the kind you see in a picture. It was a picture of a little white 
cottage with green shutters. You guessed it. I was in Amy's apartment where we made fudge together. I got to my feet somehow. Right here. I've had a for two days. I knew the best thing to do with me. There was a fire escape in a window. I got out there and I weaved against the wall. He's gone! He's gone! Oh, what do you mean he's gone? He couldn't have gotten away with that load he was carrying. I don't know, I don't know. He was unconscious when I left. Well, don't just stand there. We've got to do something. There might be trouble. Now let's get to it. I didn't wait to find out what they were gonna do. I made my way down the fire escape and started walking for the street, and and that's when I noticed my shoes didn't fit me anymore. They weren't mine. And neither was the gray flannel suit with the label marked Tidkeys. Neither was the blue shirt. And while I was at it, the ring on my finger engraved Emerson High 1936 wasn't mine either. My new belt buckle had a big letter T on it, which is not my initial. It really isn't. And I didn't have any use for the eyeglasses in my coat pocket either. You were out when I walked in the office, F, but you'd been there. There was a black crepe done up in a white satin ribbon hanging on the door. The desk blotter was drenched with salt tears. And a newspaper folded back to page 13, and I'll sue the Chronicle on this if it's the last thing I do, gave me a two-inch spread. Item, November 15th, 1950. Fifteenth? What happened to the 13th and the 14th? Detective perishes in Berkeley fire. I read it through once. Then twice, it was my obituary. You are listening to the first in a new series of adventures involving radio's most famous detective, Sam Spade. Back to Caper Over My Dead Body. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. I left the crepe on the door and went out to buy a new desk blotter and some more newspapers. The hobo news had the best story, which wasn't much. Samuel Spade, licensed private investigator, perished Wednesday night in a fire in a vacant house in Berkeley. His warm friends will feel regret at the passing of a man who was always kind to the poor. None of us ever asked Sam Spade for a handout without receiving a kind word and bon mot as he turned us down. This was nice, but I wanted more. Figured I was fairly safe to wander about unrecognized. My ill-fitting attire acquired from my unknown benefactor would be disguised enough when combined with my two-day beard. Engine Company 16, Berkeley Division, had handled the fire, and half a block away was a grog shop called the Shamrock. I waited for a fireman to come in. Bartender. Bartender! What kind of a place are you running now? I've been here five minutes already. All right, shut up, Patty. You just arrived. Well, it seemed like five minutes. A a wee bit more there, if you Uh, don't mind. That's enough for you, Patty. You're still on duty. I am not. I'm off now. The chief said I could be off. It ain't every day I receive such a shock to me system. You received your shock three days ago. And I'm still shaking, man. <coughs> oh, the sight of him was terrible, terrible. Burnt as black as the good saint's beard. All twisted and horrible in death. He was probably dead drunk and didn't know what happened to him. And were you there fighting the flames and finding him like me? 
Oh, it was terrible, terrible, terrible. <coughs> terrible. It wasn't that bad, and you've had your limit. And who says so? I say so. Oh, you do, do you? And who are you? Your brother-in-law. Well, now. Well, maybe I can spot you one, Pat. I never drink with strangers. What's your name? Uh, O'Doolan. Well, you heard the man. Go ahead, pour. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah. Hey, Fireman, you had a terrible experience three days ago. Oh, later. that I did, Mr. O'Doolan. That I did indeed, that I I've did. I've heard it a dozen times. I'll be at the other it end was three of the nights fire. ago, Mr. O'Doolan, and we get a call to the house on Claremont is a fire. Well, sir, when we get there, it's about our gone. Can't understand why it went flame so fast. Wood. It was the funeral pyre of a man who lived in sin. Huh? A detective fellow. Sam Spade, he was identified as. Oh, one moment, Fireman. I've heard fine things about him. Ah, some of those uppity police fellas from the Division of Homicide said he was a nice fellow. But some of the boys at the fire station and myself, well, we got our own ideas about that. Oh, what kind of ideas, Patty, me boy? What kind of good can any man be accomplishing in an empty house late at night, I ask you, Mr. O'Doolan? Mm -hmm. Oh, he was done to attorney was when I burst in the door with me axe. Save Satan the trouble. Charge. Empty whiskey bottles scattered all about. Sin, O'Doolan, sin. He'd gone to sleep with a smoke and cigarette that set the whole place off. Vice rampant. From there, I went downtown to a telegraph office where I sent a wire to Toledo on a long chance. And while I was waiting for an answer on a not-so-long chance, I slunk into the Bon Ton funeral parlor to pay my respects to the departed. I stood in the back of that dimly lit chapel and scanned the sea. Three of the boys from Homicide were there, blowing their noses. Two chorus girls I thought had long since forgotten me were there in black, Deep V-necks. My insurance man was there looking awful worried. One chronicle reporter with photographer, the shoeshine boy from our building, and the bailiff from the courthouse, just to mention a few I could make out. And you were there, Effie, up front near a closed casket. I made out a bar of flowers from robbery detail. It said, goodbye, Sam. Maxie from the city morgue was the only one who looked at ease. <coughs> All right. Does anyone wish to, uh, you, miss? Many called him Shaman. But I called him friend. Uh. On this, his last caper. <laughs> I was touched, Effie. And I would have stopped the whole thing then and there. But I had to find out who was in that casket. I reeled out the front door with tears in my eyes and slid around to the back door and into Chester Swan's private office. And there I made a phone call and got an answer to my telegram, which caused me to make another call to his bank. By that time, most of it was right in place. A search through his desk revealed nothing and a safe standing in the corner the same. But then my answer walked right in the door. Oh, Sam, darling, I was so worried when I found you'd left, but I saw you at the funeral and I thought you'd be here. And the guy who was with you? Was he worried, too? Oh, him, him. That was Dr. Jesslin. Sam, you'd been out for two days and I didn't... Oh, Sam, you're safe. You got away from it all. You've escaped, darling. Yeah, yeah, they're burying me right now. I'm dead. It's so wonderful, Sam. Only one thing. Where do you fit? Hmm? The caper. 
I was supposed to burn up in that fire, and what was left was supposed to look enough like Theodore J. Swan, class of 1936 Toledo, Ohio, to let beneficiary Chester Swan collect a nice pile of insurance money. Sam, what are you talking about? Who's Theodore J.? What did you say? Chester's only living relative. They're burying him right now. Somebody lost his caper. You want to tell me? Darling, I was at the house the night of the fire, working on my foggy picture. You didn't see me when you went in, and later on you didn't come out. And I went over... And I was on the floor, and a man was bending over me. He changed clothes with you, Sam, and I screamed, and he pulled out a gun, and I hit him with a hoe. And I drug you out on the lawn. And then what happened? I put, put you in my car and took you home. I was going to phone the police, but I decided it was something you were working on, and I went back to the house, and it... And it, it was burning, and you knew the man you'd hit on the head was in there. Believe me, Sam, I didn't know the house was going to burn down. I wouldn't kill anybody, Sam. I only wanted to... You only wanted to help me, and you did right, Angel. Oh, Sam. That's all right. I'm your witness. You didn't start the fire. You mean somebody really started it? Chester. He thought it was me lying on the floor in there. The bank tells me he's about to go busted. He figured this one out with his nephew to scare up some insurance, though. I'm about the same Hold size. Me, and... Sam. Hold me. It's been horrible. This is the kind of thing I was trying to paint. Now I'm smack dab up against it and I'm sick. I'm scared. Easy, easy. Sam, you're really dead. There's our way out, Sam. Just leave oh. now. Let it go the way it is. They all think you're dead. Oh, dear. Huh? But we know different, don't we, Mr. Spade? He was holding a Navy Colt revolver in front of him with both hands. I couldn't make up my mind to rush him and count on his bad aim or stand still and be a perfect target while I tried to talk him out of it. Either way, he was a crazy man with a gun. He was getting ready to use it. Sam, he's going to kill us. Mr. Spade. Because my nephew was stupid enough to wear your watch and your suit when he exchanged clothes with you, I'm going to lose the bonton. And that puts you in quite a spot, doesn't it, Mr. Swan? Until a moment ago, yes, but now. Mr. Spade, the newspapers all say you're dead. A death certificate says the same thing. All of your friends are following your casket and my nephew's corpse to the cemetery at this very moment. Everybody expects you to be dead, Mr. Spade. Thanks to you, Mr. Swan. But now... Nobody'd miss you if, if I killed you. I'd miss you, Sam. But I'd have to kill you, too. Oh. Did you notice you're still wearing Theodore's clothes, even his ring? Why, Mr. Spade, I, I could kill you and put you in a fire somewhere and collect my insurance on Theodore now, couldn't I? No. Why, that's a terrible thing to think. Huh? Oh, you're not reasoning properly, Chester. You really aren't. How would you explain Amy? You just said you'd have to kill her. And what about the coroner's office? You know how they are. But if I... But and really... don't forget the medical examiner's got something to say, too. Not to mention but... the fact that you'd have to really burn me up to cover up the bullet hole. I... And furthermore, Chester, when you shoot me, if you happen to hit a rib and chip off some bone, they'd no, know I... I was shot before, and then homicide would be in on it. Oh, no, stop, then... stop, stop. Nothing works for me. I'm a failure. Oh, go ahead, Mr. Swan. Let it all out. You'll feel that. <laughs> He did. And he's still crying in his cell downtown. Period. End of report. Oh, Sam, you were so brave. You actually stood there and talked that crazy man out of, out of murdering you. You were wonderful. True, Effie? Amy thinks so, too. She's uh, going to do me in oils when they let her out of the pokey. Amy's in jail? What for, Sam? Oh, technical charge of an involuntary manslaughter. They'll spring her as soon as the coroner's inquest is completed. Dear Amy. Did she make good fart, Sam? Fart? Oh, that was the least of it. Oh? 
What do you mean? After the fudge. What the? Panucci. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Say, go type that up, sweetheart, while I see if there's any mention of my miraculous resuscitation on the radio page. <laughs> go, go. Scoot, scoot. Good. I will sign it and you will keep it always to remind you that I'm still here. Oh, Sam. Living, breathing, brave, and handsome. A paragon. Mm. Sam, what will we do about the mail? The mail? What mail? Where? Which? All the letters and postcards and telegrams and all that came in when people thought you... Oh, where were we? You weren't good... When they thought you... Oh, there have been enough tears tonight. Ellie. Oh, Sam, it's so good to have you back. Will you be the same as you always were? Well, I'm going to try. Well, because then you can't help but be, like they say, the greatest... Private detective of them all. We'll see. Good night, Sam. Good night, sweetheart. The Adventures of Sam Spade are produced, edited, and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade was played by Stephen Dunn. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. Script for tonight's adventure by E. Jack Newman. Musical scoring by Lud Gluskin, conducted by Frank Worth. Join us again next week, same time, for another Adventure with Sam Spade. Here, the magnificent Montague... Then visit Duffy's Tavern on NBC. Stay tuned for The Aldridge Family next on Theater of the Mind. Let's see what high adventures awaits in the Aldridge household as we hear the episode, He, Man, or Mouse. Henry! Henry Aldridge! Coming, Mother! Yes, it's The Aldridge Family, written by Clifford Goldsmith. There's an old saying that claims you're only young once. But as a matter of fact, you can be young more than once. And the best way of doing that is to share the misadventures of a typical boy like Henry Aldridge. He'll take you right back to your own teenage days. The scene is the living room of Nancy Adams, one of Henry's favorite classmates. And the time is evening. Nancy, tell me honestly, what is it you like about Bill Turner? Oh, I don't know, Henry. I just like him. Don't you? Well, sure, he's all right. If you like athletes. What's the matter with athletes? Nothing. Except you're so athletic. Well, I mean... Well, well, to hear Bill Turner talk, you think he was Joe DiMaggio, the Notre Dame football team, and Gorgeous George, all rolled into one. That's so loud, Henry. He might hear you. Who would he hear me? He's out in the front hall. And I like him, only... Frankly, is there any way of getting rid of him? You mean you don't like him? Well, sure, I'm crazy about him, only... Hey, Nancy! She whiz. Nancy, did I ever tell you about the time I dove off the top of the boathouse? Oh, Bill, I didn't even know anybody could climb up that high. Oh, it's easy. And you know that flagpole down at the end of the lake? Yes. I dove off that once, too. Nancy, how's your mother? 
Oh, she's better, Henry. She just strained her back a little. Boy, was that some luck I had in the game Saturday. You remember when those three guys tackled me and I carried them right across the goal for a touchdown? Oh, that was just wonderful, Bill. I don't see how you stood up. Nancy, what kind of a television set is this? I don't know. Uh, Henry, could you or Bill open this window a little, please? Sure, why not? Oh, uh, wait a minute, Henry. I'll open it. Well, that's all right, Bill. I've got it practically... Practically... <laughs> is it stuck, Henry? No, it isn't stuck. I just... <laughs> Could you stand back, please, Bill? How am I in the way? I want to get some leverage. Here, Henry, let me show you how to open it. Now, look out, Bill. All I have to do is... Nancy, would you mind if I push this sofa away? No, Henry. Well, don't get up. I'll push you along. Along. Well, maybe if you just got up for a second, Nancy. Well, never mind the sofa. I'll just... Gee whiz, who opened that window? I did. <laughs> you know, I thought I had it started. I just should have kept at it. Anything else you want done, Nancy? Well, there's some ginger ale out in the kitchen if one of uh, you gee wants... Gee whiz, to... I'll get it for you, Nancy. You stay where you are, Bill. You sure you don't need any help lifting the bottles? You'll find everything out there on a tray, Henry. All you have to do is put some ice in the glasses. Uh, I'll be right back. Nancy, isn't there any way of getting rid of him? This evening? Sure. Bill, Henry Aldrich is one of the nice... Nancy, pe- I'm not saying he isn't. Only, frankly... Frankly what? Well, three's a crowd. And, frankly, I have crowds cheering for me every time I go out on the field. I want to be alone. Excuse me, Nancy, but is there any special way of getting your ice trays loose? Well, my mother never has any trouble, Henry. All she does is pull and they come right out. That's funny. I'll take another crack at it. Nice guy. I'd like to see him come out for football practice some afternoon. Bill, what did I tell you about sympathy and understanding? Oh, I understand, Henry. That's why I have no sympathy for him. Ah, but forget about him. What about that dance Friday night? What about it? Well, what time should I... What time should I... You know, he's going to wreck your refrigerator. (laughs) What time should I call for you? Oh, about... Yes, Mother? Are those boys playing football down there? <laughs> no, Mother. Henry's getting some ice. I'll pick everything up, Nancy. Does your father have a hammer I could use with a screwdriver? Or a small crowbar would be even better. Henry, what's that all over your suit? It's... Well, you see, I was aiming for the ice cubes, but... Was your mother planning to have tomato juice for dinner? <laughs> Why? There's a freshly opened can in the icebox. Oh, my goodness. Of course, if they're going out for dinner, it'll keep till tomorrow's lunch. Out of the way, Henry. I'll get the ice out. Now, wait a second, Bill. You'll need something to loosen it with. What's the matter with my hands? Some guys sure love to brag. Why, if Bill Turner... (gasps) Hey, who put butter on the floor? (laughs) I just took it out so I could get better leverage. Nancy, will one tray of ice be enough? Gee, did I loosen it that much? Nancy, I don't think you'll feel the same way about you-know-who once you get a look at your mother's kitchen. I think I'd better be going. Oh, Henry, do you have to? Well, I've got a lot of homework to do, and I think i better. Don't you? Well, if you have to. I, uh, I, I had a very swell evening, though. Oh, I'm awfully glad, Henry. Well, so long. You really have to go. Uh, I think i better. Always, would you mind closing that door? The coach told me to keep out of draft. Oh, oh, sure. I, I didn't realize I was keeping the door open. Well, what time should I call for you Friday evening? Friday evening? Well, sure, for the dance. Henry, I didn't promise to go with you, did I? 
Why, sure, why, sure. You didn't? Well, I don't see how I could have. I'm going with Bill. Oh. With Bill? Oh, I'm terribly sorry, Henry. I guess you must have misunderstood hey, me. Hey, what about that door? Oh, I'll, I'll walk you out to the porch. No, no, you, you go back and have your ginger ale. I can find my way, all right. Well, I, I hope you understand, Henry. Oh, sure. You and Bill just go ahead and enjoy yourselves. <laughs> the toast, please? There you are, dear. Why didn't Henry go to the dance? Well, dear, that's what I don't know. Do you remember the other evening when he came home from Nancy Adams soaking wet? When? Last week, dear. A couple of nights before the dance. He walked into the house covered with tomato juice. And Sam Henry hasn't been himself since then. Did you have a talk with him? Yes, and all he'd say was he felt dancing was a waste of time. Mother! Uh, Mary, come in here and eat your breakfast. Mother, what's this letter all about? What letter? Why, it's the silliest thing I've ever seen. It must be for Father. May I see it, please? Who's it from, Sam? From the Lionel Strongford Institute of Physical Development, Incorporated. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Mr. Ulrich, are you a man or a mouse? <laughs> I all the time it wasn't for me. Yeah. No man can make his mark in the world. No man can inspire the love of a good woman unless he is willing to develop his inner potential strength in our 26-week course. Sam, what in the world is that? I don't know, Alice, but I'm fascinated. <laughs> we can give you a money-back guarantee if your chest expansion does not increase by at least two inches during the first six lessons. How many inches, Father? Keep quiet, Mary. That's just the first six lessons. <laughs> we also offer a shorter course for the busy executive, interested in only partial development. <laughs> Remember, decide now. Yours truly. Oh, Father, what's that? P.S. Reply by return mail and receive free one genuine simulated nylon tape measure, especially designed <laughs> for checking your chest development. Dear, when did you write for that? May I see the envelope, please? Father, it's addressed to Mr. Harold Aldrich. Who's he? I have no idea whether he's a man or a mouse. Well, <laughs> put the letter back in the envelope, please. It's probably for Henry. Mother, why would he want to develop? I don't know, dear. And besides, it's none of our business. Please put it back in the envelope. Well. Well, I think I'll walk to the office this morning. <laughs> why, Sam, you haven't walked to the office in six years. Well, of course I have. I walked to... A couple of times just this last summer. It made me feel great. I'll get your top coat for you, Father. A coat? A coat? Why would I want a coat? Well, I can at least get your hat. Goodbye, Alice. Goodbye. Oh, leaving? Goodbye, son. Goodbye. Mother, do you have any idea where my blue and white tie is? Your blue and white tie? No, dear. Now sit down and eat your breakfast. But, Mother, I've got to find it. There'll be plenty of time to find it after you've eaten. Turn around. What's the matter? I think you ought to have those shoulders on that coat taken in a little. Taken in, Mother? You just want to throw your money away? They'll be filled out in 26... I, I mean, before you know it. Henry, dear, please sit down. I want to ask you something. What about? What in the world is the trouble? The trouble? The trouble? Gee whiz, I don't know of any trouble. But you aren't yourself, dear. And when anyone speaks to you, you're way up in the air. Well, I'm not up in the air, Mother. I, I may be a little upset because I can't find my blue and white tie, but otherwise I feel fine. Then why not eat your breakfast? I'm going to eat it. I'm going to eat it. How's Nancy Adams these days? Nancy Adams? Mother. Well, all I asked is, how is she? You see this book here, Mother? You see this book? Yes. Well, that gives you an idea of what little interest I have in Nancy Adams. What about the book? I borrowed it from her two weeks ago. Well? I'm returning. 
Well, that's fine. I'm returning it. I'm returning it. But that's all. That's as far as I go. She asked me whether I'd like to keep it and finish it. I'll tell her I'm not even slightly interested. Well, that's fine, dear. Now, drink your milk. You know what else? What? That's all right. Never mind. But if her folks can't afford a better icebox than the one they have... She was you like Bill Turner. Bill Turner? I hardly know him. She is. He got a lot to learn. He just goes around... You know what he thinks? Henry, what's your ambition in life? My ambition, Mary? What do you mean? That's all. I just wondered whether you wanted to be a man or a mouse. <laughs> Mary, I haven't any time for small talk. Hey, have you seen my blue and white tie? No, but I'd love to see your chest expansion. Now, Mary. <laughs> what I say, Mother. But, Mother, all I was going to ask him was if he was going to take the short course of the 26-week course. Uh, Mary, will you please give Henry that letter? A letter? I don't think it's for you, though, Henry. Mary, give me that letter. Are you Mr. Harold Aldrich? Mary, you come back with that. Do you realize that's United States mail? Mary? Mother, it says right on the envelope, may be open for inspection. Mary, if you don't give me that... <laughs> oh, we won't break anything. I'm just helping Henry develop. Now, listen, Mary, you're only going to make me late for school. You want to take it with you and show it to Nancy Adams? Mary, if you breathe one word about this to her, I'll... Mary? Mary, come back down here with that. What are you writing, Henry? Henry! What are you doing? Homer, is there a class in this room next period? Sure. Henry, what are all those questions you're filling out? Nothing, Homer. Nothing important. It's, it's just some information I've got to send away. Could you measure my chest just once more, please? It's pretty hard with this ruler. Well... <laughs> well, just go around me real slow. It's, um... Exactly two and a quarter. Two and a quarter? <laughs> two and a quarter rulers. That's, uh... Twenty-seven inches. Twenty-seven inches? For my chest? Don't you think I better take off a half inch for where I went around the corner? <laughs> The only thing is, Homer, my thigh was 27, too. You mean my thigh is as big as my chest? It is. Boy, Homer, I don't want to mislead anyone. Listen, Henry, what is it you're sending for? Nothing, Homer. Gee whiz, why would I... You know whether Nancy Adams has a class here next period? Sure. I thought you were ignoring her. I am. That's why I'm waiting to return this book. When I hand it to her, it's going to end everything. Well, let me see that letter, just for a second. Will you, Henry? Homer, don't you see what's printed right at the top of it? Strictly confidential. What does that question at the bottom mean? What question? Do you have flat feet? <laughs> now, listen, Homer, that just shows how your imagination works. Well, what did it say then? Keep quiet, Homer. Miss Watson just came into the room. Miss Watson? Well, boys, you certainly look busy. We, we are, Miss Watson. You working on your biology? Well, in a way we are. Well, now, isn't that fine? You know we're going to start working on mice next week. We are? On mice? <laughs> yes, we're going to compare their development with that of man. What's that? Come on, Henry. That's the end of the period. There's a class coming in. Hello, Henry. What are you doing in here? Well, well, Nancy, I've been waiting. Uh, I, I've, been, I've been filling out... I, I, I've been... Henry, you're getting ink all over yourself. I am? Here's a blotter. Um, well, Nancy, I... I just wanted to tell you how much I enjoyed this book. Oh, I'm awfully glad you returned it, Henry, because Bill Turner is anxious to get it. He is? Are you sure you're through with it? Oh, yeah. After all, even if I weren't through with it, naturally, if Bill wants the book... Where have you been for the last week? Just around. Just around every place. Hey, Henry, come on. You go ahead, Homer. I may be held up here a second. Why, please? Oh, you better go, Henry. 
I just wanted to tell you, though, how much I enjoyed your book. Henry Aldrich, don't you have a class this period? Yes, Miss Watson. I'm on my way right this minute. Goodbye, Henry. Goodbye. Boy, is Nancy a good-looking girl, Henry. You think she's so good-looking? I think she's terrific. Well, the way I think of her, she's good-looking, but I wouldn't ever want to... Henry, let me have a look at that letter, will you? What letter? About your flat feet. Now, Homer, listen. (laughs) Homer. Homer, where is that letter? I haven't got it. Homer, I put it in this Latin book. I put it right here in the ablative absolute section. Well, don't look at me. I didn't even touch your letter. Do you suppose I put it in Nancy's book? You did. Well, why would she be interested in your flat feet? Homer, I didn't know I put them there. I mean, the letter there. I was just talking to her, and I may have just stuck it in there. Well, Homer, I've got to get that letter. Why? I think I want a thing like that to be read publicly by Nancy. Well, you certainly can't get it now, Henry. Maybe they haven't started class yet. Well, I'm not going in with you. I don't want the whole class to look at me. Be quiet, Homer. I'm going back in and get that letter. Will you all get your pencils, please? I beg your pardon, Henry Aldrich. Is there something we can do for you? Why, uh, Miss Watson, I'm sorry to interrupt your lesson like this, but I just returned Nancy to a book. (laughs) Uh, I mean, mean, Nancy's desk has something in it I'd like to want. I mean, me. Well, is it anything you can't do without for the rest of the period? Well, yes, ma'am. I just have to have it. Well, if it won't take more than a second, you may go to her desk and get it. Thank you, Miss Watson. In the meantime, will all of you be copying what's written on the board here? <laughs> Nancy. Henry, what on earth is it you want? I'd like to borrow that book again. Henry, you didn't have to come all the way back into class and embarrass me. But I just happened to remember. I, I haven't finished it. I thought you said you had finished. What did I It's like I don't know Henry, all. will you hurry, please? Yes, Miss Watson. Sure, Henry. Thanks very much. Uh, Henry, may I ask what book that is? This book I just got from Nancy? Yes. Well, it's... It's just a book. What is the title? (laughs) Rita's Revenge. (laughs) And that is the book you were in so much of a hurry to get? Well, I'll tell you, it isn't the story I'm so anxious to get. Yeah, I have the book, please. (laughs) The whole book? The whole book. (laughs) Couldn't I take just one look? Please don't open it. No? May I have it, please? Yes, Miss Watson. And I should like to see Nancy Adams immediately after class. Miss Watson, she... Henry, will you please leave this classroom? Yes, Miss Watson. I'll go. (laughs) We'll come back to the Aldrich family in just a moment. Sundays on this station are really full of top radio shows, but I'd like to tell you about just one of them, Theater Guild on the Air. For seven seasons, the Theater Guild has been bringing you the brightest stars of Broadway and Hollywood and some of the world's greatest plays. Tonight, the comedy attraction is Ring Lardner's baseball story, Elmer the Great. Your stars are Eddie Bracken and Wanda Hendricks. Now, the play concerns Elmer Kane, a pitcher with the best right arm in the three-eye league, but a brain which has failed to vibrate with a clear thought since birth. Now, Elmer refuses to leave Gentryville, Illinois, for the big league because he's in love with Nellie Poole, owner of the grocery where he drives the delivery wagon. But Nellie guesses his secret and fires Elmer. Well, from then on, it's all ring lard and a fun. So check your newspaper for broadcast times and tune to NBC tonight for Theater Guild on the air. You'll enjoy Elmer the Great.
getting back to the troubles of Henry Aldridge. Henry has decided that he needs a course in physical development. And after filling out the rather intimate questions on the application blank, he discovers that he has left the blank in a book belonging to Nancy Adams. The scene opens in Henry's school at the close of a period. Listen, Henry, this will make two classes I've missed just because of you. Homer, all you have to do is just walk up to Miss Watson's desk there, pick up Nancy's book, and walk out with it. It's as easy as pie. Are you sure Miss Watson isn't in there? No one's in there. There isn't a soul in there now. You like pie. Why don't you go in and get it? <laughs> well, gee whiz, Homer, I was going to stand here in the doorway and keep watch for you. Well, if anyone does come along, Henry, give me a signal. Clear your throat. Sure, I'll, I'll sort of cough. Okay, I'll go. That's it. Just walk right up as though you own the place. Which book is it? The one your hand is on. This isn't it. Sure it is. Isn't that book blue? Sure, but it's uh, the advanced essence of poetry. It must be there, Homer. Well, come here and show it to me. All right. Wait a second. I'll close the door part way. If it was here, it would be here. Homer, I'm almost positive Miss Watson didn't take it with her. All right. Show it to me. Gee whiz, it's a book with a blue cover. A blue cover? Oh, this must be it. Yes, Miss Watson. Henry, someone's out in the hall. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Quick, Homer, Doc, have you got it? Where are we done? Get down here beside her desk. Did they come in, Henry? No, they just closed the door. Well, come on, let's get out of here. Not so fast, Homer. Wait until they've gone down the hall. But, Henry, I've got to get to my next class. Quiet. Open the door easy. I'm going to. You must be stuck. Let me try it. Henry, this is all your fault. Now don't get panicky, Homer. We'll get it open. How? Oh, it's locked. You're crazy. Why would anybody lock a door in broad daylight? All we have to do is throw ourselves against it. Okay. One, two, three. Don't you stand there, Homer. Help me up. <laughs> I guess they locked it all right. You mean we're locked in? And I can't get to solid geometry? Well, at least they didn't see us, Homer. But, Henry, I'm weak in geometry as it is. Well, well, all we have to do is climb out that window. But what good will that do? We're way up on the third floor. Homer, stop arguing. Give me that book and let's go. Nancy, could you take these keys down to the main office, please? Yes, Miss Watson. And Nancy, if you're quite sure you won't let this book interfere with your studies anymore, you may have it. Yes, Miss Watson. I'm sorry you let Henry Aldrich have it. After all, he has much more important things to attend to than Rita's revenge. Yes, Miss Watson. He's a very nice boy, Nancy. At least he has his good points. But I do wish you'd become more interested in someone who takes things just a bit more seriously than Henry does. Yes, Miss Watson. Be careful, Homer. Do you want to knock me off this fire escape? Well, gee whiz, Henry, we have to get out of here somehow. Don't you realize this fire escape goes right past all the second floor classrooms and never goes below the second floor? Well, keep quiet, Henry. Suppose somebody should see us out here. Let's close the window. Now, quiet now, Henry. Being quiet. That's it. Make all the noise you can. Homer, all we have to do now is go up the fire escape to the roof. And then I suppose we just jump off. It's bound to lead to something, Homer. Come on. Have you got Nancy's book? Sure. Here, take it. Is my letter in it? I don't know. 
Hey, Homer. What? This isn't Nancy's book. She was, this is Miss Watson's report book. Her report book? What made you think my letter would be inside this? You said blue, so I grabbed blue. <laughs> but you should have looked, Homer. Boy, if we get caught with this, we could even, we could even be expelled. Just for having a report book? Sure. Well, you can be the one that takes it back, Henry. All we have to do is open the window and... Be sure no one's in there, Henry. No one's in there. She whiz. Lift, Henry. I am lifting, Homer. Move back so I can get some leverage. What's the matter, Henry? Are you weak? Oh, gee whiz, maybe I do need... Wouldn't you think I could at least open a window when it's an emergency? Boy, you're really in a fix. You've got Miss Watson's reports and Nancy's got your measurements. Sure. But probably by this time Nancy's read the whole thing. Come on, Homer, we've got to get off this fire escape. Boy! Boys, what are you doing up there? Who is it, Henry? What are you doing up there? It's Mr. Bradley. He's down in the courtyard. Boy! Why, we're just trying to open a window, Mr. Bradley. Don't you know the rules about going out on the fire escape? Are there any special rules, Mr. Bradley? What are your names? Henry. Aldridge. Oh. Homer. Brown. Who? Henry and Homer. Aldridge and Brown? Huh. Yes, sir. Look around Empire Estate and report to my office at once. Yes, sir. How would you like to have us get there, Mr. Bradley? In any way you can. <laughs> The only trouble is, Mr. Bradley... What's that? Nothing. We'll get down. And how long have you been a student in this school, young man? About three years, Mr. Bradley. And this other young man? About three and a half, Mr. Bradley. But that was on account of the mumps right on top of the measles. I see. And you both know those fire escapes were placed there for emergency use only? Well, the fact is, Mr. Bradley... It wasn't enough that you were out on a fire escape. You climbed in a window and broke right into the middle of Professor Vanderhoff's French class. Well, you see, Mr. Bradley, it was the only way we could get off the fire escape. Professor Vanderhoff's window was open and... Homer, must you lean on my desk? No, sir, excuse me. I thought you were through with us. I don't know whatever gave you that impression. Excuse me, but could I interrupt you, Mr. Bradley? You're Bill Turner, aren't you? Yes, I'm the one that carried three men over our goal Saturday. And what were you sent in here for? Well, I suppose I shouldn't have been reading this book during study hour, Mr. Bradley. What's the title? Rita's Revenge. <laughs> Rita's Revenge. I see. <clears throat> Henry. Yes, Mr. Bradley? What do you think of a boy who would spend his time reading a book like that? Well... I guess it's pretty bad, Mr. Bradley. That's what I say. I see. Do you know what I think all three of you boys need? No, sir. Suppose you wait here, all of you, while I step out and get your record. Yes, sir. Bill, where did you get that book? From Nancy. And what business is it of yours? Listen, Bill, could I borrow it a second? Nancy's book? All I want to do is take it for just one second. What for? I just want to... Well, I just want to... Can't you even let me look at it? Keep your hands off. Let me have that. Keep away, do you hear me? Hey, Henry, look at what fell out of it. There's your letter right on the floor. Gee whiz. Bill Turner, you take your foot off that. You make me. Do you hear me? Take your foot off that letter. Henry, somebody's coming. I don't care. Mr. Bradley, Miss Watson asked me. Henry. Hello, Nancy. Close the door. 
Let go of my leg, Aldrich. You lift your leg, do you hear me? Lift it. Boy, stop it. <laughs> lift his leg, Henry. I need more leverage. Hey, Bill, cut out. It's twisting my head. Yes? Turner, you stop that. Darn you, Bill. <laughs> there. Henry. Gee, Henry, you knocked him out. Oh, boy. You lifted him right off the floor. Hey, what happened? Oh, he's all right, Henry. Pick him up before Mr. Bradley comes in. Come on, Homer. Let's lift him onto the couch. Oh. Listen, Aldrich, what did you hit me with? I just used my bare hands. Didn't I, Nancy? Now then, young man. Turner, did anyone invite you to lie down on that couch? No, Mr. Bradley. I'll help him up, Mr. Bradley. Don't you think he can get up himself? Well, I'm up. Well, young lady? Oh, uh, Miss Watson asked me to bring her keys down here. I'll take them in one moment. Turner, here's what I want you to do. I want you to spend a part of each lunch hour for the next ten days picking up the papers in the corridors of this building. <laughs> On all three floors. On all three floors. And as for... How... How did Miss Watson's report book get here on my desk? On your desk, Mr. Bradley? Nancy, would you see that she gets it back? Yes, sir. Now then, Aldrich and Brown. Yes, Mr. Bradley? Yes, Mr. Bradley? I am sending you to the gym instructor. He needs a couple of huskies like you two to help him move the steel lockers. Move them? Yes. <laughs> Aren't there quite a few, Mr. Bradley? There are 350. It will take every afternoon for the next two weeks. Gee whiz! That's all right, Homer. You heard what Mr. Bradley said. They need a couple of huskies like you and me. Aldrich, what's that you're tearing up? Nothing. It's just sort of a letter I've decided I won't need anymore. A radar network to detect the approach of planes can't do the entire job of protecting our country from a devastating surprise air attack. That's up to us as individual citizens. Right now, the Air Defense Command needs 300,000 more volunteers for its Ground Observer Corps. Both men and women from teenage up can contribute a few hours of their time each week and perform a valuable service to our country. Write upon your nearest Civil Defense Center a right to Ground Observer Corps, Air Force, Washington 25, D.C. Well, gee. Well, gee. Henry Aldrich, look at that window. That's what I mean, Nancy. No matter what I touch these days, it crumbles right in my hands. <laughs> The Aldrich Family is written by Clifford Goldsmith. Henry is played by Bobby Ellis and Homer by Johnny Fiedler. Mr. and Mrs. Aldrich are House Jameson and Catherine Roth. Your announcer is Dick Dudley. Listen again next week, same time, same station, for another sparkling half hour with The Aldrich Family. Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's the FBI in War and Peace, followed by Duffy's Tavern. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.